Glad you're here, and thanks for getting online with us. Uh, I have an amazing passage, and we're, we are jumping into Ephesians 5, but this passage so fits with everything that we have talked about or sung about uh, in the service right before uh, I just came up here. Romans 8.11 says this, and this will be our driving passage for prayer, but I want you to hear this. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, which He is, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of the living one is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, here it is again, because of His Spirit who lives in you. That is an incredible statement. And what it is saying is because, basically, you are not left to your own resources. The Spirit of God, the actual God who raised Jesus from the dead, the one who has done what no one else has ever done to raise somebody from the dead, the Spirit of Jesus Christ lives in you. You are never left to your own resources. So whatever you are facing you need to know that God has this. He's in control. The one who is, has done what no one else could ever do, be raised from the dead, he is living in you. Paul Tripp put it this way, because you are in Christ, listen to this, your potential is greater than the sum of your parts. If I had a mic, I'd drop it. That, that's an amazing statement. Because you are in Christ, your potential is greater than the sum of your parts. That's why what drives everything we do at New Cup is to say we want you to point your life to Jesus Christ, that you put your hope and trust in Him. You're never in any situation or location all by yourself. You don't have to live a life of distress. So a couple ways this applies. Uh, if you want to call in or uh, text in your prayer requests, this is what we're going to pray for you this week. If you are stressed over the election, God's got this. That we are never left alone regardless of what happens. That God is in control. The one who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And one of the things that I wanted to close with before our prayer is uh, many of you know Clint Godkin. Uh, and he passed away last night. He's been ill for some time. And he is in the presence of God because he gave his life to Jesus Christ. So certainly we are saddened and will pray for Marilyn and uh, the Katsina's family. We will pray for them, that God will sustain them in the midst of such hard time. But Clint is with the Lord, and he has clear thinking, and he is able to do that which only we can dream about. And it's all because God has given us life because of the Spirit who lives within us. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we, we come to you to bring everything that causes us stress. And we have an option to lay it at your feet because you are the God of all creation and not just the God of creation, you're the God of resurrection. And so you are able to take that which causes us distress and you can cause all things to work together for good that you have said you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. So, Father, we come and we put our hope and trust in you, not in anything else, not in someone else, but we put our hope and trust in you 
and in you alone. And Father, we pray for the Katsinas family and Marilyn. God, how I pray that you would surround them, that they, they would feel loved and, and cared for and pursued by the New Cup family. But Father, I pray that you would overwhelm them with your presence. And thank you that Clint is with you. Thank you that we get to see him, uh, those of us that have put our hope and faith in you. And we commit our lives to you and commit the Godkin family to you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in Ephesians and have some amazing uh, verses to look at. So if you have your Bibles, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians 5. And what we are discovering is that our lifestyle reveals the focus of our heart. Don't hydroplane over that. Our lifestyle reveals the focus of our heart. Our vocabulary reveals the focus of our heart. Our posts reveal the focus of our heart. Ephesians 5.1 says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Let's hang in this verse for just a minute. We are to imitate God. The word imitate is the same word in the Greek that we get the, that we get the word mimic. That we are to mimic God. We are to mimic, we are to copy him, and it says, notice when we're supposed to do this. We're supposed to do this in everything we do. We use the phrase and have used this phrase for some time, what is good for God? So in everything we do, we are driven by what is good for God? What brings glory to God? What points to God? What is the best way for us to live our lives? It's to imitate him asking what is good for God. And we're to do it all the time. And that sounds, probably it sounds a bit overwhelming to say, so I'm, in how I handle conflict, I need to say what is good for God. In how I vote, I say what does God's word say? How do I, how do I align God's word with, with my voting? In, in distressful times, how do I imitate God? How do I do this? Well, it sounds a bit overwhelming, but look at how he says we can do this. Because you are his dear children. For those of us who've made a commitment to Jesus Christ, who've opened our lives to Jesus Christ, we are able to imitate him because we are his, his children. Or put this way, as members of his spiritual family, we should be a chip off the old block. If that doesn't make sense to you, how about this? You become like the people you hang around. It's just a fact. You, I've heard it put, John Maxwell said, you want to know where, who, what kind of person you'll be 10 years from now, the, the books you read or the books you listen to, and the people you hang around. And this is saying that we need to hang around in God's presence. And, that, and one of the best ways, not the only way, but one of the best ways is by spending time alone in God's Word. Every week we put a Bible reading plan for those that just need some direction. Every week so that we can align our lives to what Scripture says so that we are able to imitate God. We hang around Him. We begin to act like Him. Look at verse 2. Live a life filled. The word filled is filled and overflowing Live a life filled with love. How do we do this? Imitating God. Following the example of Christ. He loved us. He offered himself as a sacrifice for us. A pleasing aroma to God. Again, I think sometimes our tendency can be to say, yeah, I know God loves me. But think about this. We live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. 
who offered himself, who put away his rights and said, what is best for those around me? How can I pursue them? Because they need forgiveness. What can I do to invest in them? And he gave his life. That's why we spent a good amount of time a couple weeks ago looking at Ephesians 3. It's up on the screen for you. Verse 17. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all God's holy people to grasp. Remember the word grasp is prehensile. When they talk about a monkey's tail has a prehensile tail, it means to hang on for dear life. So we are to hang on for dear life with how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. One of the major things that we can do is to begin to concentrate on how much we are loved and we pass that love on. We imitate God. Verse 2, he loved us and he offered himself. We're to imitate that as a sacrifice for us, such is the incredible love of God. Look at this, and I don't know if, if this one overwhelmed me as I've been reading it, that you may be, in verse 2, that he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Such is the incredible depth of God's love for us. For you and for me, such is the incredible amount of love he has for us. He counts all the atrocities of being on the cross against his son as a sweet fragrance. Do you realize how much you are loved by God? That his sacrifice would be an aroma that is pleasing to God. We ought to be overwhelmed with that. That that would drive how we interact with other people, realizing that God laid down his life for us to, to give us an opportunity to know him. But that as God sees that crucifixion, he sees it as, as an, a pleasing aroma because it, drew, it gave us opportunity to draw us into relationship with him. That's why God's desire for the restored relationship with us is a favorable aroma to him. Wow. That's why in 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord isn't being slow about his promises, some people think. Saying, where is God? Why isn't he coming back? Why isn't he coming back? Why isn't he coming back? He's not coming back as quickly as many would want. No, because he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. He's slow in returning because there are people. I've got neighbors still that do not know Jesus Christ. And so as I, as I look at where God has me placed, and in particular, I've got three close friends who are not followers of Jesus Christ, and God has placed me in their life for such time as this that I have the opportunity to point them to Christ when the opportunity is there and to make sure that I'm hanging out with them and not just bypassing our neighborhood but trying to realize who, where, where does God have me, and how can I come alongside with the hopes of pointing them to Christ? There are nearly 16,000 different people groups in this world. 16,000. 6,000 are still unreached. 
And that is why we are engaging as many people as we can with the gospel. And so when I, when I think about this, last year there were over 70,000 Operation Christmas Child events. And here's why I, we are so bought in to Operation Christmas Child. Here's why. Because last year there were 70,000 Operation Christmas Child events that happened around the globe. This equates to the gospel being shared every 7.5 minutes throughout the entire year. When those parties happen, they don't just hand out a box of, of, of fun things. There are fun things in them. But the gospel presentation is there. But they don't just assume they're going to read it. The gospel is presented at every one of those 70,000 events. And, and it happens that the gospel is shared at 7.5 minutes throughout the year. Seven times while we're here this morning. Since 1993, 178 million children in over 160 countries and territories have received a shoebox. Every shoebox matters because it goes and the gospel is presented before they receive the box. They have opportunity to come back and be trained in a discipleship program as well. But they take this box with the gospel and they take it home and other, seven other people are experiencing the gospel. Here's another reason we're so committed to uh, Operation Christmas Child. Every 14 seconds, a child becomes a follower of Jesus Christ through the greatest journey. That's the follow-up program. Every 14 seconds, 222 children will come to know Jesus Christ while we're sitting here this morning. 222. And it's because churches like ours take time to fill out a, fill a box or two or three or 20, and, and we pray over those boxes, and those boxes go to children who need to know Jesus. The Operation Christmas Child goal is to share the gospel with 290 unreached people groups in the next five years. So don't downplay the importance of a box or two. And so we've urged, and that's why we still have boxes in our seats and boxes available for those of you online to come by the church and pick up a box. But that you would recognize there's power. The gospel, God has, has got his hands in this, and he's using it. And so we ask you to take one and share one. We talk about a, uh, the Big Ten Challenge, the Pack 10 that you and your small group would pack at least 10. Or this one, build a shoebox online. And that one is so simple. You just go to our website and just scroll to the bottom, and then it says build a box. You'll see the Samaritan's Purse logo, Operation Christmas Child. And for 25 bucks, you can fill a box, which also covers uh, the uh, postage as well. And I was like, oh, my. It, it matters. It matters. And to recognize that there are people who desperately need to know Jesus, and this is one of many ways but one that makes a huge difference. So as we apply this, this is a practical way of taking the name of Jesus to the nations. Verse 2, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ, who loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice. We must not lose focus from sharing with those with whom we have influence. And we say this, every time we come to a situation like this, we say, Stop and begin to pray. Where does God have me? Where does he, who is he placed around me? Where has he given me influence? 
and, and re realize that before the foundation of the earth, he placed you exactly in your neighborhood, exactly in your setting, exactly in your occupation, exactly as a student. He has students around you who maybe you're the only person who will ever point them to Jesus Christ. Don't take lightly the station of life where you are right now. Look at verse 3. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place. It shouldn't even be named among you. Why? Because we don't want to pull people off, off target and be caught up in things that just don't draw people to God. We talked about this last week. The word immorality or impurity is the word pornea, which includes all kinds of sexual sin outside God's design of one man and one woman. And it means sexual activity before marriage, and it means sexual activity outside of marriage. That we are to honor God in all kinds of relationships. And he says, and also be careful that you don't greed or that you're covetous. And one of the biggest downplays, I think, of any of it is we start comparing of what other people have and we don't have, and envy moves in. Our lifestyle reveals the focus of our heart. Romans 8, 5, and 6, for those who are dominated by the sinful nature, look, this focus, they think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about the things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your minds, lead, mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind often leads to life, or not often, it leads to life and peace. When you invited Jesus Christ to come to your heart, you are not subject to your old nature anymore. The old man has died. And so you have the opportunity to feed the flesh, which is still alive, or to feed the Spirit of God, which lives in you, and you, you look. When I was a, a little kid, we would, uh, our dog, uh, it was a German shepherd, about, 220, about 125 pounds, his, his head was about 25 pounds. I mean, he was a massive dog. His name was Ruff. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. So, but we would play a game with him, and we would put him in the middle of the yard, and my brother would be on one side and I'd be on the other, and at the count of three, we would say, Here, Ruff, here, Ruff, here, Ruff. And what we discovered was whoever he looked at first, he went to. And when that old nature comes screaming at you, you have an opportunity to look to the Spirit of God who lives in you. And you pursue the Spirit of God because where you focus, you get more of. And so our lifestyle reveals the focus. Our vocabulary reveals the focus of our heart. Verse 4, obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes. These are not for you. You're different. Instead, let you be filled with thankfulness to God for the things that you have. In other words, don't let the culture set the standard. The culture is not the one that sets the standard. Or I love the way Chuck Swindoll puts it. He says, quit feeding on mental sewage. We started with this in Romans 8. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead... He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit that's living in you. Look at verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you, have, you are under no obligation to do what your old nature, the old flesh, urges you to do. 
Back to Ephesians, verse 5. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of the world. This is not talking about if you ever do this. It's, a, it's a, talking about a life of habitual feeding the flesh because you become like what you are or what you look at. If you're filled with the Spirit of God, then that, that is not a, a, a concern. Ephesians 5 to 6, Paul is talking about the shameless continuation in a sinful lifestyle. Because your actions reveal what your heart is looking at. So don't, verse 6, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on those who disobey him. Don't participate in the things that these people do. And then here comes the, the big major contrast. For once you were all full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Once you were in darkness, there was no light in you. You were on your own. You were subject. You were obligated to do what your flesh says. Not so when the Spirit of Christ comes to you, because Jesus is the light. But what you've got to realize is you can't reflect his light unless you're in the light. That's why it's so important that a person gives their life to Jesus Christ. When I was a little kid, I lived in West Texas, and we went to uh, Carlsbad, New Mexico. And in Carlsbad, New Mexico, they have the Carlsbad Caverns. Many of you have been there. And we went before they had great big entrances. And it was just a hole in the ground, and you just worked your way to the hole in the ground, and then they took you in. You'll see a couple pictures here. And what was amazing was that was about what it looked like when we were there. Not any guardrails, I mean, but that was back then. But you'd walk in there, and then when you were in, this, uh, in, in there, they would turn all the lights off. Every single light was off, and then they would turn on, they would have a, a match, the leader would, and he'd match, would, would light, and it would light up the entire cavern one single light. And what was amazing was all of a sudden you could see and you, all, all you noticed was what light was revealing. And you couldn't look away from it. You were drawn to the light. And even now when you look at these where the lights <clears throat> are up in the cavern, you, can't, you, you might glance for a moment at some dark areas because I just said it. But eventually, you can't help but look from light piece to light piece to light piece to light piece to the slagites and the slagmites. Because light draws people in. You once were darkness, but now you're filled with light. We are to be light to the places that God has us. And why? Because Jesus Christ lives in us. He's the light of the world. But Jesus said, let your light so shine before others. <clears throat> that they may see your good works and be drawn to Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. You become like that which you focus on. When you focus on the light in you, you begin to look like 
Jesus Christ. You begin to act like Jesus Christ. You begin to do what is good for God because you're focusing on him. And it produces what is good and right and true. So carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Carefully determine. In other words, look at God's word and say, what is good for God? What does God want me to do in this case? How do I align how I live my life according to God's word, according to his standards? That you carefully determine what pleases the Lord. You take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It's shameful even to talk about them that the ungodly people do in secret, but let their evil intentions that will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. That's why it said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you life. In the areas where you're struggling, that you would say, Would you shine truth in this area? Would you... Would you bring light to this discouraging situation? Would you bring your hope, your light to this situation? Because you have a light that lives within you, and so we want to, to lift that light. And then he closes it out with this. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. But live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in this evil day. And some of your passages may say, make the best use of time. Some of them say opportunity. But that word for, the word for time or opportunity is the word translated rescuing opportunity. Uh, kairos is the, is the word for time. Make the most of the day. Make the most of the time. There's two different ways you could look at time mean 24-hour period, or in this case, he used the word kairos, which means rescuing opportunity. And how cool to realize this. God has given us an opportunity to be a rescuing opportunity for the places he has us. You get to bring light. You get to bring life to the places you go. Make the most of rescuing opportunities. Don't hydroplane over the opportunities that are before you. God has you where he wants you. Keep your eyes on him. You'll begin to look and act like Jesus Christ and step out recognizing that God has rescuing opportunities where he has you. Verse 17. Don't act thoughtlessly. Understand what the will of the Lord is. So determine God's view on the matter. What's good for God? What does God's word say about it? I started with this statement when we started the series, but I want to come back to it. Biblical truth must always be the overwhelming voice in our lives. We need God's truth to echo so loudly in our lives that it drowns out the sound of any other voice that could distract or deter us. The power of pursuing the light in the word of God. We'll pick up here next week. Verse 18. I'll start with 18 next, next week. But it says, don't be under the influence. Don't be drunk. Don't be overcome with wine. That'll ruin your life. Instead, be overcome with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. We'll start there next week. So my challenge for you is that you would focus on Jesus. This week that you would let the focus on the light. Focus on what is true, what is right, what is of good report. 
Focus on what God would have you to focus on and allow him to change you from the inside, resulting itself on the outside as well. If you would take your phone and uh, for those of you that are on our uh, website, there's a place up on the right, play, right side where you can put in prayer requests. You can also give your offerings. Uh, or you can go to 402-260-2400 and type in uh, respond. And it will give you an opportunity uh, to be able to make prayer requests and let us know how we may best pray for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the light of the world. Father, thank you that you have our, our best interest at heart, and all we need to do is lean into you. Father, I pray that our focus would be upon you this week. Our life, uh, life is a crazy world right now, and with Tuesday coming, God, I pray that we would put our hope and trust in you. Help us to vote in such a way that it says what's good for you, that we'd be driven by that. And, Father, as we approach the outcome, Father, may we ask what is good for you and how we respond to outcomes. Father, you are in control, and we have the privilege of being the light of the world. Help us not to waste the opportunity of, of rescuing hope that we want to point people to Jesus. Our hope is not in someone. Our hope is in you and in you alone, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.